Welcome to the Fruitful and Fearless podcast, where we're serving up gospel-fueled courage to the Christian woman to remain faithful in her calling. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fruitful and Fearless podcast. Jordan and Lexi here and our friend Margo. Hello, everyone. Hi, Margo. So Margo Voth is joining us today. Both, right? Not both. Both. Okay. Gosh, I, I always know. say the wrong one, and then I second guess myself, and I'm like, no, it's the other. Riley says if you <laughs> say, if you think of the word both, okay, and you just add B. Oh, yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyways, Margot is a friend of ours, and she is one of the contributors to the cookbook. So if you order the cookbook, you will get to have some of Margot's recipes. And uh, Margot, Lexi, and I all have a very similar philosophy of cooking and food. And uh, we thought we'd have her on today. She's actually live with me, which is crazy because she lives in Oklahoma. I'll let you tell a little bit about yourself, but she's actually live with me. Her husband and my husband went on the Shepherd's Creek Intensive this past week. So Margo and the kids came and hung out at our house and yeah, now we can spend some time together. So we thought, hey, we should podcast while you're here. Yeah, Jordan had to talk me into it though, because I'm not as gifted (laughs) as you two are, but I love this talk. Oh, please. It will. So we're actually going to be talking about traditional foods and traditional cooking and food preparation today and why big brother. Yeah. And (laughs) a little bit of big brother and yeah, uh, yeah, all of our thoughts on those things. So we thought we would start out first with an icebreaker. Lexi, you had an icebreaker, didn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Since we're talking about uh, food prep, I just want to know like what the last food either of y'all sprouted, soaked or fermented was. So my last one was kombucha because Margot brought me a SCOBY and I've been wanting a SCOBY for a very long time and could not find one locally. And she brought me one and I'm so excited. And I know, and it looks like I have a brain in a pitcher of tea over on my counter right now. I seriously (laughs) sat for like five minutes poking it with a wooden spoon. Like this is so weird looking. (laughs) Because it looks and feels like a brain, but I'm so excited about it. And I already have the little pop top bottles from when we brewed beer. So I'm all prepared and very excited. That's way fun. Yeah. Hey, was it you that told me the kombucha cookbook that I got a long time ago? Was that you? Um, I, yeah, I have, I have one that, well, I mean, it's my mom's that had some good recipes in it. Okay. I, I, Cause I was showing Margot, I was like, it was either you or Lexi who sent me the um, recommendation for that kombucha cookbook. But anyways, it must have been you. It's a really good one. Cause it shows like all the different pictures of the mold that could happen on it. Cause I feel like when you're looking at a SCOBY, it's so weird. You're you always question like, is that mold or not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that little mold chart in there. Okay. What about you guys? I'll go ahead and go. Sorry, Lexi. Um, I think, well, we just made the, the kombucha together. But I think the last thing I made was a sourdough loaf, but it was fully spelt and I added some walnuts in it and it was absolutely delicious. And then the next thing I would like to do, and this one's a really odd one. So I thought about mentioning it for sure was I'm, we have, we just butchered a cow and we have the tongue and I'm going to cure it. And I'm so excited because I've had tongue before, but it hasn't been pickled like that. And so I'm going to take this, like when we get back and I get myself organized, I'm going to organize, like set up about a week to cure it and see what it tastes like. Now I know that, uh, beef is probably has a bigger tongue than a pig, but could I do the same with our pig tongue? Oh, I imagine so. 
Um, the recipe I have is, yeah, it's a massive tongue. Like think of your forearm. I think it's the oh my gosh. Of my forearm. Lexi, <laughs> what was that show that we watched? That was like the British people did the old fashioned stuff. What was that show that I got? Oh, really excited um, about? Victorian farm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. On Victorian farm, when she cooked the tongue, that's all I can think about when it was like a giant tongue laid out on a little wooden board, yeah. like presenting it. And she like stabbed a fork in it to like keep it upright. Oh, oh yeah. But Hey, that used to be really common yeah. to eat the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had it before, but I would like to try it. Okay. Lexi, what about you? Um, I've got some, my favorite einkorn banana bread soaking. It's like the first recipe because I kind of thought you can just switch out einkorn equal parts for white flour, but you can't exactly do that. So this was the first recipe I ever tried years ago from an actual einkorn cookbook. And it just, it sold me. It's my absolute favorite. It's a banana, a streusel banana bread. So it's out there soaking and I'll mix it up in the morning and cook it for breakfast. Sounds good. I have two things of einkorn flour in my pantry that I haven't tried. I haven't been brave enough to try yet, but I, I own them. I just haven't done anything with them yet. Cause I'm like, I got to do a little bit of reading before I mess with them. I was the same way. I thought it, I thought it was a one-to-one situation. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't think it is. Is it whole wheat or is it uh, white? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll have to look at it. I think it's whole wheat. Is it jovial? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so expensive. It's like a tiny little thing of flour. (laughs) Yeah. My mother-in-law thinking about growing it just because it was so expensive because we grow wheat and she was like, well, why don't we try einkorn? And we're not that ambitious this year. Maybe next. (laughs) Do you know flour? One of my Um, good friends just scored us a ton of einkorn for a dollar a pound. It's like, I can't believe it. I know. I think I ended up getting like 80 pounds of it, 90 pounds of it. I'm like so shocked, but that rarely happens. <laughs> that's amazing. What? She's an amazing bargain hunter. So that's pretty cool. So now you're on this mission to like convert all your recipes to einkorn. <laughs> well, I've used einkorn as my main whole wheat for years, actually. It's oh, only wow. very recently that I accidentally got a, um, I got some, I, I like kind of panic bought a whole bunch of wheat berries maybe a year ago when everything happened COVID wise. So I have more wheat berries I'm going through, but I, I also just keep einkorn going all the time because I like it better. Mm-hmm. I really haven't done anything. Now, when you say you're soaking it, do you mean that you like got all your wet ingredients together and then you're just soaking, you're like letting that sit for a while? Or do you mean like yeah. you're soaking einkorn berries? No, no. Okay. Yeah. I'm soaking okay. the flour. Yeah. Yeah. Overnight. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. So traditional cooking, food, food prep, Margot and Lexi are both super knowledgeable about this. I feel like I am just starting to get into this stuff for the past couple of years, but um, I'm just excited to pick both of your brains. So I thought we'd start out with um, what's your why? What's your why? We like to talk about the why on this podcast of our philosophy behind doing things. So what is your why behind why you cook this way for your family? Okay, so I thought maybe I'll start with my like history with her, how I came to know about traditional food, just a little story, I won't give you the whole thing. Um, 
So when Riley and I first got married, which was nine years ago, I struggled with the eating disorder a little bit. It wasn't full blown, but I was really confused with food. I thought that Mm -hmm. I was trying really hard to eat healthy as what I knew what healthy was through the FDA recommendations. So like low fat, low salt, like even a little bit low carb. So it was just like leanest meat you could think of like chicken breasts and then like vegetables and I couldn't maintain it I would just start like I could do that maybe for a week and then my body just craved something like I was eating ice cream straight out of the freezer like at night like I have to have more food and I got really frustrated with it and I cried out to God asking him like I want to know what's good here because I felt like abandoning food and that's not something yep. you can do yeah. <laughs> you can't forget this all together yeah and I felt like I was sin- and I was sinning in it in ways because like, I was just so consumed with the thinking of it and like trying I felt trapped and I I really felt like he gave me an answer and when we moved to Lawrence Kansas I met some friends at the CrossFit gym there that introduced me to traditional foods um, specifically through the Wesley Price Foundation. And there I felt like it was what meshed, like what lined up with scripture as far as it's not an exclusive diet, like don't eat these things. It's just eat what is out there that God has provided traditionally prepared and all the foods, all the parts of the animal. And I found it so freeing. Riley, he, um, Riley's my husband. He really had like, he struggled, he's six, five and he struggles, struggled with like hypoglycemia. And ever since we started eating this way, he was fine. And I stopped being consumed with food. Like I didn't have to binge eat because I was eating sustainable, like sustenance food fats that filled me and not craving anything, just feeling really good about it. Um, so I, question real quick. Cause I have one of my sons is like runs. I feel like he has low blood sugar all the time. So mm-hmm. do you, do you think it was the fats that helped Riley specifically? Yeah, I think, well, we cut out a lot of sugar, like all the sugar. Mm-hmm. And then we eat more sugar now, but at the beginning we cut out almost all of it. And then um, we, now we eat like um, unrefined sugar. So like honey, maple syrup, yeah. sugar, that type of stuff. But um, we, so the big, number one, cut out the sugar. Number two, lots of fats, like butter, eggs, bacon, breakfast, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. like not, not, um, letting his blood sugar rise super high with a lot of carbohydrates so that he has a crash, oh. you know? Okay. okay. And then like, just on the side, like eating as the side as like carbohydrates, like sourdough, but sourdough is such a great thing because it, um, is low glycemic too. And it's a vehicle for fats, in my opinion. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> you could have more butter than you do the, fat, the bread. There. Um, that was the biggest thing for him. Okay. We talked a little bit earlier, too, just about um, just government standards for food, um, government overreach into food and things like that. Um, what are your guys' thoughts about that? And how does that play mm-hmm. into the decisions that you make whenever you're buying groceries and cooking for your family? Oh man. I think for me, that's one of my bigger whys. And, um, part of it is because I'm going to use this term loosely. So nobody pegged me in a hole for this, but as a Christian post-millennial theonomist, um, I believe that we are to be ruled by God's law and that the only other options are man's law, which usually ends up being government state law. And so when you see that 
I mean, just like you were saying, Margo, like when you, it's no longer hidden to us that the FDA does not really operate on actual science. 2020 does not allow us that luxury anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God for that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, when, when you realize that the government, so I just finished reading a book. I don't remember fat, sugar, salt, I think is maybe what it's called by Michael Moss. Um, he, there's quotes in there about how the government talks about when they assumed responsibility, quote unquote, responsibility for the dairy industry and just how that completely ruined and wasted so much money by the taxpayers. Um, God's law does not say that they need to assume the dairy, (laughs) the dairy industry, especially when they're 100% okay with babies being murdered down the street. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, the more I've seen, especially over the last year and a half, and the more I've learned from scripture in regards to what the government should and shouldn't be doing, the more as a wife and a mom, I see it as my responsibility to be sourcing the food. Well, not that the sin is in the food because it's not, Mm -hmm. um, but it's just part of pursuing my vocation excellently in a way that keeps my family out from underneath government thumb. Yeah. So what are some ways that you guys go about that? giant garden. Um, not, I think a major thing for us was getting off of, um, which we did this by accident, truly by accident, getting, um, on private medical shares instead of being in on Obamacare, um, raw milk, just like sourcing as much of our food as we can from farms that are not subsidized by the government, because even something as simple as a giant hoop house, I don't, you probably know a little bit more about this than I do, Marco, but people get all excited about, oh, you can, you know, get this, this government grant if you buy this giant greenhouse essentially for your property. But I don't want the government having anything to do with how I produce my food. (laughs) And I think some of that can feel overwhelming at the beginning when you're like, oh my gosh, like how can I ever do traditional foods? And I was telling Margo this this morning that I, it was probably like a year and a half ago. I probably said it to you, Lexi. I was like, I just cannot get down with soaking a bean right now or sprouting a bean right now. Like I just cannot have margins for soaking and sprouting beans. And, um, and then I just did it one day and then I was like, oh, this is fun and interesting and it feels like another outlet for creativity and, um, and learning more about food. And then, then it like gets super fun and you're like, oh, now I always soak and sprout my beans as long as I think think ahead enough. Um, but I think that there's always things that there's going to be more to learn and grow when it comes to food preparation and learning more about food. And you just do a little bit at a time as it makes sense for your family. And as you have the margins to do yes. it, um, what was I telling you this morning that I don't yet have margins for something? I can't, oh, nuts. nuts. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, I've yeah. never soaking soaked a nut nuts. before. And I was like, I just don't have the margins for soaking a nut. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, things feel overwhelming. And then you just like one day have the space to do it. And yeah. I think just like having an end goal in mind that you're shooting for, like, this is what I know that I want to be moving towards when it comes to food and food preparation. And you just make those small changes here and there as you can and keep learning and figure out what's the most important things to do first, second, third and all that. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. 
there's so much room for creativity. We were talking yes. about it, like the, the fact that the kombucha scoby looks like a brain. God is so, he's opened the doors wide for us to be creative and to have fun with it. There's yes. so many mm-hmm. avenues. You could, you could cheese make, you can make bread from sourdough. You can culture your own yeast. You can make all these cool fermentation drinks, ferment your vegetables to make them taste completely different than what they taste like cooked in the you know I've got a a good example of that creativity in the natural art of cheese making he talks about how um uh factory produced cheese cultures that are overseen by the government just don't have as much variety in flavor and taste as a non-gmo or a wild caught yeast that a cheese could catch naturally mm-hmm. and even even that shows me like <laughs> when you do rely on the government to produce these things for for you instead of just going out and seeing how god made the world and being in awe of that well you are going to have a lot less creativity to work with which like you're saying that's kind of boring as a cook <laughs> yeah <laughs> as a home yeah. cook so so i i think that leads into a good question i think that we should maybe explain okay what are traditional foods what's traditional cooking what's that even mean so I, named, okay, I, was gonna say, I name dropped or organization dropped, I guess you would say resource Weston A. Price has, has a really good job. If you go to their website, Weston A. Price Foundation, they do a really good job of just like listing out like what would traditional foods be, what our ancestors ate before the industrial revolution, before Big Brother got involved and um, worldwide too. It's not just America and like what was consistent um I think that their little tagline is something like traditional foods properly prepared so eating the whole animal getting your grains and properly preparing them so that you can best digest them and gain the most nutrients you can out of them um fermenting vegetables so before refrigeration most people fermented their vegetables and it increases things like vitamin C. So you could, you could live off of vegetables without citrus and still not get scurvy, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe if you have a better definition, Lexi, that would be good. No, I think, it. yeah, I think that's part of what attracted me to it was Ari had been really sick and I've talked about this before and, and we had done veganism and our doctor's recommendation and that was not helpful. It was like over a year, we found no improvement in his health but I didn't know what to do. Cause he, he was on so many meds that he legitimately couldn't digest dairy. So I was also the same place where you were like, I just don't want to do anything with food. Then like, I'm getting rid of this altogether. I don't need it. I just want to pop some sort of a pill that we can all see. <laughs> but traditional food prep to me was so attractive because it included all food groups. You didn't have to cut anything out. And if your body could not digest it for whatever reason, you know, um, traditionally preparing it was a way to help your body absorb the nutrients better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's kind of right on like what it, cause I'm not necessarily anti-industrial revolution, but there is a lot that we lost when food became much more mass produced. So, right. um, yeah, just kind of going back to those old ways that really are nourishing to our bodies. Yeah. You said something interesting this morning, Margo, about um, how we saw on different continents, people doing the same thing uh, in history and how that shows us like, okay, people found out over the course of hundreds of years that, that liver was really good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I was giving her the example of a lot of the people groups would 
often give their trying to conceive their pregnant and their new birth um, liver because they just knew this is this, this is the most nutrient dense food that seems to give us the most benefit. So let's give them liver to help them in these times that they need a lot of nutrients. Yeah. And I was, I was saying that I was just telling my mom yesterday that um, it seems like now you have a baby and then two weeks later, you're expected your whole body to be completely back to normal as far as like feeling great, um, looking the way you did before you had a baby, uh, same energy levels, like going back to do everything normal. And it's like, and if it's not that, then we go to the doctor, like I need a pill to balance my hormones, like give me, yes. you know what I mean? My hormones aren't back to normal yet. Um, or my thyroid is out of whack or whatever. And they're like, okay, synthetic help here. And yes. instead of really um, supporting our bodies through nutri- nutrition, through times of right now, I'm, I'm only four months out from having a baby and still my body is like, um, going through all kinds of stuff. I'm nursing a ton. So my body's depleted in lots of ways. So I'm trying to support myself through nutrition. And I think that, you know, generations before us probably had a better grasp on coaching their daughters and granddaughters through times like this through nutrition, um, Mm -hmm. better than we do right now, because we think, oh, well, it's out of whack. So go to the doctor and get a pill for it rather than giving your body time, yeah, um, to get back into balance and then also supporting it in the right way. Well, and I think it really does show like, because we don't have that as much, uh, like intergenerational discipleship anymore. It's yeah. not that that need has disappeared. It's just that right. the government now steps in to meet yeah. that need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another thing that Margo and I were talking about, um, that we thought may be fun to discuss is how we manage our home and do traditional cooking and food preparation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because you know, there are more hands-on things when it comes to doing more than just opening a can or a freezer bag or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So yeah. What are, what are some ways that you guys are able to still manage your home and take care of your kids and, um, homeschool or whatever it is that you're doing and, uh, do traditional food. So for me, a large part of it is just being home. So when Riley and I were first married, (laughs) (laughs) I was working outside the home. We didn't have kids, but I was working outside the home for five years and I was getting into this and it was really difficult to to try to um, feed my sourdough culture and try to prepare these foods that like aren't, they don't take a lot of time with your hands, but they take a lot of time thinking ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking ahead and preparing Mm -hmm. ahead. And it was hard to do when I was trying to manage an eight to five and then like fit that in there. But now just being home, I can feed the sourdough at one or 11 o'clock or whatever, and then try to make something at eight, you know, or try to prepare ahead. So that's a big one for me. And then secondly, taking small steps, just, yep. learning one thing at a time when I was teaching Jordan um, kombucha this weekend I or this week I was telling her it's as easy as sourdough if not easier it's you'll you will think it's the simplest thing once you get the hang of it but starting is a little overwhelming just taking it one step at a time and then you'll figure it out and then you get really excited and you can get really creative with it yeah I think that's a big thing is whenever you first get into it you're like that's got to be really complicated like kombucha has got to be really complicated because how on earth could that happen and not poison people <laughs> yeah. um but then and then you do it the first time and it's like oh this isn't complicated it's just foreign to me it, it's just something that we haven't grown up around mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um hopefully all of our daughters will have all of this knowledge very secondhand and they'll grow off of what 
what we've been able to build from. But um, yeah, I think that just because we haven't seen it put into play, it feels overwhelming and like really mm. unknown. But yeah, Lexi, you got any tips? What are some of your... Um, yeah, I, I think it's actually helped me become better prepared, especially as I have more children. I cannot fall behind in cooking food for people. Yeah. Um, so like every night when I fill out my index card for the next day, three of my slots are breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And before bed, I either get oatmeal soaking or rice soaking um, or like bread like I'm doing today. Um, so I just take in honestly that is like less than five minutes at night. It's just like, we're all saying mentally, I have to have the plan in place for the next day. Mm -hmm. And then usually when I wake up the next morning after I, as I'm cleaning up from breakfast, I need to double check and make sure I have all of the dinner stuff pulled out. And if I need to say, soak some sourdough for focaccia bread for dinner that night, I would do it right then. But again, it's not that's not going to be any more than five minutes either. I mean, my sourdough recipe is easy enough that I literally walked Ari through it verbally this morning while I was grinding the wheat, he was making the bread. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, and then like Margot said, I know people that they really like want to pursue more of the traditional food route, but they work. And so I do think I'm really thankful that I get to be home and I do get to be creative in this way. Cause I, I could see why it would be a hindrance if I was out of the house a yeah. lot more. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think through food for the week on Sundays. So I sit mm. down on Sunday and think here's, I don't, I don't meal plan strictly of like Monday is this Tuesday is this, but I do write down seven options of like, I have all the food for these seven um, dinners specifically. And so I think through the food for the week, I think through a couple, I usually do breakfast in large scale. So I'll make like a casserole or a bunch of sourdough waffles or something. Um, and so I think through that weekly. And then I think through food daily, like the night before, like mm-hmm. you were saying. So between those two things, then I'm able to keep up a day ahead on what's coming up the next day, whether it be smoking or starting bread I, or whatever it may be. I think to, um, Layla Lawler's, um, like freezer cooking. She always says, I think it's buy low, pay low, sell high. So I've started just doing like so much large batch baking specifically when I am baking like tomorrow's banana bread, I'm going to actually turn them into muffins and I'm doing a double batch so I can stick some in the freezer. And so I can take some with us to the amusement park the next day. So like just cook bigger, whatever you are soaking or fermenting, cook it in bigger batches because it's going to save your time too. Yeah. And I've said this on our podcast before, but I think, and this is a weird statement to make, but I think cooking in this way is less stressful than convenience cooking because because it's just like a few minutes here doing this a few minutes here doing that it's not like an hour before supper getting everything using every skillet and pan I have (laughs) you know doing the dinner Um, and I know most people won't believe us (laughs) yeah Yeah. I know but it is it's like just a little bit of soaking here a little bit of making bread there and you have all your dinner pieces throughout the day done so anyway 
I'm always blown away when I, when I try the convenience food route from the store, I always end up more frustrated and like mentally confused because I'm trying to follow the recipe on the Mm -hmm. box. And it's just like foreign to me. And I'm like, why did I do this? I should have just had fried eggs. It would have been easier and faster and cheaper and better. (laughs) Yeah. And less satisfied in the end. Like this did not taste as good. And then it, yeah. And then cooking this way also ruins you because it tastes amazing. Cause guess what? Butter tastes good. Yeah. (laughs) Tastes good. (laughs) Home cooked things taste good. Um, so yeah, it, it's delicious and ruins you. So what are some of your guys' favorite things to make? Let's just end with talking about food. Oh, wait, before oh, we end, okay, yeah, yeah. can I ask Lexi a question? Yeah. So you said, Lexi, that you like, before you started traditional foods, you were practicing like vegetarian or veganism? Mm-hmm. Vegan. Vegan. So yep. There's an ism on that or not, but, um, so what changed that? Was it something in scripture? I opened your eyes in that direction. Yeah. So, um, I guess we weren't vegan. We were plant-based because I just recently learned like vegan has a connotation in regards to your clothing as well. (laughs) So we were not vegan plant-based, but I was always uncomfortable with the scripture verses that talked about the promised land being filled with milk and honey. And so I knew in the back of my head, I knew like, this is not a long-term thing. And, and we knew that going into it because the doctors had kind of said, try this for 18 months and it'll boost his immune system. So he won't be a sick all the time. And it just didn't work. That's kind of the amount of time we gave it and it didn't work. And, um, I think my husband read Joe Rigney's book, the things of earth, mm-hmm. which, I mean, he says that everywhere in that book, that most of that book was influenced by Doug Wilson. So, um, Brian read that I, he told me, he sat me down and said, you're going to read this book. <laughs> you're going to read it this year. And one night I was just really frustrated trying to make, um, the meal list for the next day. And I know most people that eat plant-based are going to disagree with this, but I just felt so boxed into like, okay, I have Mexican and I have Indian in regards to <laughs> food and that's it. And I was just so frustrated. It wasn't working. Brian was dissatisfied. I knew he was dissatisfied and it was just frustrating me. And I was crying while making the grocery list. And he just told me, he's like, enough, we're done. You're going to the store. You're buying a few sticks of butter and we're done. We're not doing this anymore. So, and I knew like, to me, like that was enough. I knew that we weren't going to do it forever. I didn't pitch a fit over it. It was very freeing for my husband to step in in that way and say that to me. Um, but again, like I said, I was scared at that point. I didn't want to cut out any food group ever again, (laughs) but I didn't really know what to do. So I just, I didn't look at labels. I didn't do anything. I just kind of went back to cooking from scratch, but not looking at any ingredients or obsessing about anything. And, um, but I still, it was, I was still struggling with Ari. He just had really bad gut issues after all the meds he was on. And so that's when one of my local friends said, you know, you should really consider raw milk and you should look into the Weston A. Price Foundation. And so from there on out, it was kind of like, this makes more sense to me because I am to receive all food with Thanksgiving. And if this is a way that can help my son receive all food and digest all food with Thanksgiving, then this is what's right for us. And then I think after that, um, as I've come to a post-millennial understanding of like creation and end times, I, I do think God's estimation of the earth, like the physical earth being good 
should be our estimation in maintaining it um, vocationally through farming and agriculture. And I am a nature nerd. So I also really, I do see that in scripture. Like there is a good way to take care of God's land and there's a bad way to take care of God's land. So yeah, I think it was just like knowing that God's goodness is equated to fat and marrow and honey. And then yes. seeing like the government step in, I was telling Jordan this earlier, like the government wanting to step in and tell us, no, those are bad things is a maligning mm -hmm. of the gospel picture yeah. in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of my whole, whole thing there. Joe Rigney's book is really good in that regards. And then Doug Wilson's book, food Catholic was also very helpful for me. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We went through a stint of time where we weren't eating, uh, specifically red meat and then limiting meat, uh, drastically. Um, this was like probably 10 years ago and Jared was hating life. And, and I remember reading, um, Peter's dream when the animals come down yep. and yep. they can eat. And he's like, no, I'm not eating anything unclean. And God's like, no, it's clean now. Take and eat. And I remember feeling very convicted during that season of being like, oh, okay. Like if scripture says something is clean and okay for me, take and eat, then I'm not going to make some kind of better judgment on food by saying that I shouldn't eat that. So that was, yeah. that was one of the convictions that I had early on too. I have a question. Why I asked Riley this and Jared this morning. Why do you think dietary laws changed Old Testament to New Testament? Do you have any thoughts about that? Hmm. Well, I think specifically um, Jesus was fulfilling those laws for us. Yeah. The New Testament law that comes to mind is the, the blood one. Is that what you're referring to? No, like how uh, in the Old Testament, they weren't supposed to eat certain animals. Okay. That's what I was but, thinking. Yeah. But you, so, cause, cause in the new, I don't, okay. <laughs> this is going to get nerdy. But when we were butchering our pig, I was talking to pastor Dan. I was like, have you ever made blood sausage? <laughs> because I was having this internal struggle of like, don't boil the, yeah. the mm -hmm. baby in its mother's milk and like, mm -hmm. don't eat the blood, the lifeblood verses. And he had kind of said the same things. <laughs> so I was like, I guess I won't be making blood sausage this route. <laughs> But is, is that what you mean? Or I just think Jesus fulfilled those things for yeah. us. They weren't in place long-term. Well, I was just thinking through like, okay, in the old Testament, God's laws were, I were good for the people. Um, so mm -hmm. for some, there was a reason in the old Testament that they shouldn't eat certain animals oh, and okay. that certain animals were seen as unclean. Um, because I think it was wise of God to uh, prohibit them from eating them for some reason. And I was just, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I just like to think through, like, I wonder why from old Testament to new Testament, those were okay now to eat. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. Like if that. there was inherent wisdom in that, why did it change? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I mean. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I'll, I guess I'll know one day. What did they say? What did the, what did the guys say? <laughs> Neither one of them knew for sure. No. They, and they didn't really have a lot of thoughts. They both were like, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Riley said um, maybe like sanitation type stuff, like advancements oh. in, in, in the, you know, time, but maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. Giving the example of a pig, like that meat just is um, easily, more easily spoiled than beef or whatever else. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. 
if anybody has any thoughts on that, I would love to hear it. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind yeah. of a brain buster for you. Um, anything else that we wanted to talk about? I want to know what some of Margot's favorite, like, um, cause every time we talk about this on Boxer, Margot, you always have some book or recipe source that I've never heard of before. Oh. <laughs> so what are like your three go-to food philosophy books, I guess. Uh, outside of nourishing tradition. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a nourishing baby foods book that I really love. I guess that one comes to mind first because I'm starting baby foods with Atticus. He's eight months. And so that one's a really good source for because a lot of the store-bought baby foods are just simple, all carbs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've I just know it's really important to get more fats and even meat into his diet, but Mm -hmm. getting it into it in a way that he doesn't choke. (laughs) Yeah. It's really helpful. (laughs) So that book has been good. Um, Let me think of a few other ones. I think it's called, you know, this one it's nourished kitchen, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She has a blog too. Oh, Mm -hmm. I love that. That's yeah. I love her blog in her book is the pickled cow tongue that I'm going to use. Oh, okay. <laughs> recipe that I used. That's up there. Um, I have a whole grain sourdough recipe book that I use a lot. I don't. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Okay. What's yes, I, I don't know. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> can I like put it in the show notes or something? Yeah, let's Google. <laughs> it's um. I think it's recent. I think it's a newer book, but I okay. loved it. It's got some red flour in it, but it is okay. better than using just regular flour. There are quite a few recipes in there that are strictly whole grain. Is it? Yeah, that's it. Whole grain sourdough at home. Bye. Oh, okay. Uh, Elaine Bodie. Bodie, yeah. Elaine Bodie. Okay. So is that, I've never done whole grain. Does it turn out pretty good? Not oh, good. it's delicious. It's I got know. a depth of flavor and okay. it's still with, I think when it's, it's a longer fermentation. So you mm-hmm. guys, I think both have the, what book do you, you have? You Artisan used? sourdough. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's such a good one. I recommend that to everybody starting sourdough. Um, it, it, these recipes with the whole grain have so much depth to them and they're a longer fermentation than the book that I but you still get like a light loaf out yeah, of it. You feel like, too. cool. Mm-hmm. I want to try that. Yeah. So I have, I've done einkorn straight wheat einkorn sourdough, which is pretty good, but I tried the trim healthy mama spelt sourdough. My mom and I, when I lived over there, my mom, and I, Oh, I talked my parents into doing so many weird things. I was like, mom, we need to buy all this spelt that we found at the store and we're going to try and sourdough it. But I only had the trim healthy mama recipe and it was, I don't know. It was bad. It did not turn out. They were absolute bricks and oh, see that's the problem I'm like oh I just want it to not be a brick I want to do but it I haven't really found any other good whole whole grain sourdough resources hmm. since then I know um venison for dinner has one that she always recommends her sister uses but it's out of print and it's really expensive mm. so are there okay. multiple recipes in here you like Yes. Yes. I've done a whole, a completely whole grain. And I think there's a completely whole spelt. Like spelt's actually really difficult because I don't think it has very much gluten at all okay. naturally, but the long fermentation. And I think this, there was quite a bit of, maybe there was quite a bit of kneading, I think, and involved, but there, yeah, there's a lot that I've liked. I think every recipe I've made in there, Riley and I've both liked a lot. Okay. And okay. the spell fire makes it blue. Did yours turn out blue? Oh, yes, it did. Yeah. Yep. Cool. 
Cool. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if I have any others that I, I have a, I showed it to Jordan here. I have a book all strictly on fermented drinks, it's all fermented drinks and it's fun. Oh, what's that one called? She's going to go grab it. <laughs> yeah, I like, I've been getting more into a cultured drinks now that the weather's getting hot again, just to keep more electrolytes. Did you do the whey lemonade? I did that one last year and I loved it. Yeah, it was it really do. good. This is called kombucha, kefir, and beyond. Hmm, you say that word different than I do. I say kefir. Kefir. Oh, Lexi, how do you say I it? say kefir. Oh, <laughs> you guys are fancy. <laughs> kefir. <laughs> Funny. Wait, what's that title again? Kombucha, kefir, okay. and beyond by okay. Alex Lewin. Lewin? Okay. Yeah. So there's multiple in there that you like too? I haven't made a lot of them. They have several okay. different options for kombucha and I've done the kefir recipe and I did a um, beet kvass and I really want to try their mead, but I haven't done Ooh, that. yeah. Cool. I'm excited to check those out. All right, guys, we've talked for a very long time. I know. About traditional foods. <laughs> Margo, we're going to have to have you back on for a part two and Love we can to. just like share recipes and our favorite things because we have almost talked for an hour. You know what I do want to talk about though in another episode that's related to this is the but, whole idea of, um, uh, we were just talking about it, like uh, climate change and food and like don't have more kids. Uh, yes. We need to do uh, yeah. a podcast on just that topic. Yeah. I told Lexi that um, Jared mentioned that Biden wanted to pass a thing uh, I think it's a proposal right now of only four pounds of red meat per person per year <laughs> because, you know, cows fart and stuff. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. But anyways, Lexi and I boxed a little bit about that and just the ridiculousness of that. So that'll be a topic for another episode. Yeah. Stay tuned, everyone. Let's, let's plan that one. Coming up. I do want to recommend one book to you guys, though, that I just got recently and we have all been loving it. It's called A Long Way on a Little by Shannon Hale, and it's a grass-fed meats cookbook because I didn't know this ingredient, but it is a little different the way you cook grass-fed versus conventionally raised meat. Oh. And just the seasonings are very different from what I would ever cook with. Mm -hmm. So, and my family has loved it. Even my pickiest people have loved it. So I highly mm -hmm. recommend that. It's like how to cook, um, cook this way on a budget, basically. Mm -hmm. So check that out. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks for okay. listening. I think I can stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have a good day. Bye.